right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Stories from a Mountain Town. This is your host, Tyler, and uh, we are here, as always, in Wilson, Wyoming. Um, but today, and sorry, my guest today is the president, owner of Don Lar Construction, um, and also my stepdad, John Kynes. John, welcome. Thank you. And we are out, instead of being in the normal studio, office, my office setting, we are out on the my front porch here in Wilson. We got some very nice hanging, uh, what do you call these lights? These, What's the bulb? It's just a bare bulb. Bare bulb. It's LED, that LED lights all over. It's that rustic style from Taylor. Um, and we decided to come out here as opposed to being in the office because John is a big cigar guy. So, John, uh, you already got into yours. What is What are you smoking there? It's a Dominican Republic v- Victor Sinclair white label. Victor Sinclair white label. Is that the same that I'm going to have? It is the same one. Okay. Then I'll get mine going. It's very nice and smooth. Yeah. It's wonderful. I'm not I'm not an enormous cigar but guy, but all the ones that you've picked for me have been lovely. Ow. Um, so, while I'm getting this lit up, could you please um, give the folks a little introduction on yourself? Talk about um, a little bit more about <laughs> who you are, what you do, and why you're in Jackson. All right. Well, um, uh, who I am, uh, John Kynes. I am, <clears throat> as Tyler said, I am the president, chief executive officer, owner of Donler Construction, which... Uh, you know, which is uh, actually my dad is the, as I like to say, the Don and Don Lar. Mm-hmm. Started the company 48 years ago. Can you can you explain where the name Don Lar comes from? Well, it is the first three letters of uh, Don, my dad, and his partner Larry Don Lar uh, that formed the Don Lar name. And um, it's one of those, I, I'm just glad that they didn't call it Lar Don. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you've told that joke before, but I, I've never I heard have. it. Yes. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it is, it's, uh, they've even laughed about that. So. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, what what kind of construction does Donlar do? Donlar does, well, our, our tagline is we build better communities. Yes. Because we do community-based buildings, schools, churches, hospitals, uh, government buildings, all of the things that really congregate people together and form the community, the community-based buildings, is what we specialize in. Definitely. And I've learned so much more about what you do and your process in the last, um, when do we start? June? Mm-hmm. In the last three months, because Donlar is actually one of um, Roll Domini's main two clients. Um, we're able to do a little bit different of an engagement for them where typically it's we're um, in the trenches doing the marketing work where with Donlar, we are cons- in a consultative base. A sounding board was the thing that you said immediately that you wanted. Correct. And it's worked out that way where we can work with your marketing team to kind of teach them the strategies that we know work. And then, um, they acted out and Thomas, your main marketing guy that we work with has gotten 
so good at the stuff we're trying to do and we're giving him I always make jokes in our meetings that we always are giving him like new activities because my favorite thing to do is when we come up with a thing that we think will drive more business, we get to we get to give it to Thomas and we know it'll work out well. That's why I like giving him jobs. Yep, I agree. No, he's he's a good, very good add to the team, um, and you know having Merlot and Meany on board has been fantastic because you know it we're good we're good builders. Mm-hmm. We just don't understand how to market ourselves well. Yeah. So so we needed to have that expertise to to coach us and to be that sounding board. Yeah. And I've I've thought that something that I've been glad something I'm glad that we can provide is um a layman's view of what you guys do. Mm-hmm. Because so many times in our conversations because of your expertise of having how many years in the business do you have of experience? I am at just over 40 years. Yeah. So you with 40 years of experience running the business, mm-hmm. um, we work with my your sister, my step-aunt, Beth. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Beth. Um, and she has, how many years of experience does she have? You know, I I think probably close to 20. Yeah. But even besides that, like, you know, growing up and growing up in the family business, like substantial. Mm -hmm. So she has extreme knowledge. Even Thomas knows a lot about in the depth, in the weeds. And your brains so quickly go to like this really nitty gritty view of things. Mm -hmm. And we needed to pull you back to be like the average viewer, the average person that you're really talking to does not understand anything that you just said, because I don't understand you to anything you just said. Correct. Yep. And and so that was a fun part to just be like our Alex and I's lack of knowledge in the industry was a was a value add, which I, you don't I, see a lot of. I love the glazed look in your eyes. We start throwing terms out, mm-hmm. and and it's like, all right, we've just missed the mark. So let's back up and try that again. Yeah, pull it back to why does the community want this? You know, right. you build better communities. Why do they want it? Correct. Yep. No. What what makes us special? in in terms you can understand yeah exactly right. and it's been great it's been so much fun to be able to on our side the the kind of meetings that we get to have with don lar are why alex and i started this business mm-hmm. we enjoy doing the in the weeds stuff the posting the, the content gathering the editing mm-hmm. all that stuff we enjoy that but really why we wanted to start a business to do it because you could, we could get a job and do that is we wanted to be in these strategy meetings. Mm-hmm. And that's what really excites us, is these marketing strategy meetings. And that's what we get to do with you guys at least once a week. We have a recurring meeting once a week, but sometimes it, I talk with Thomas more than that, mm-hmm. and it's been phenomenal. It's been so much fun. Yeah. No, it, it has been really great to have. You know, and it's a fresh insight. You know, the, the new media is um, getting us, I mean, it's you, some people might call it a stodgy company when you're almost 50 years old. But being able to then jump into, let's look at it with fresh with, you know, social media and all the platforms available. Mm-hmm. How, do we, how do we stay in contact with our, with our client base and, you know, be a little fresher than we were before? Yeah. And, and that's hats off to you for acknowledging, um, acknowledging the, the way that people... Um, consume 
or digest companies mm-hmm. is now moving towards a digital is is in a digital sort of we're fully in the digital marketing age right yep and just to acknowledge that that that, that change needs to be made and most of the time that means money needs to be spent in that direction and to go into it um full bore like you're the president of the company and you're in every one of our marketing meetings you're having input you're not just the yeah you're you're not just um what's the movie where the roman emperor just does like the thumbs up or thumbs down like the gladiator scene yeah you're not doing that it's gladiator yeah glad okay gladiator (laughs) you're not doing that you're not you're not just sitting there back doing that saying yes i'll pay for it no i won't pay for it you're in there providing meetings or providing um ideas providing that that uh, industry knowledge that helps connect our marketing strategy to real in the weeds examples of what we need to do day to day yeah no it's and part of it is you know in the way we've structured the company we've gone through a restructuring with a setting up a leadership team my one of the, my additional roles is still i am in charge of the marketing mm-hmm. so i want to you know obviously as the owner set the tone but i also don't have a an individual to to offsource that or outsource that message giving to mm-hmm. so and it is a critical piece for for a company Definitely. Um, is there anything else you talk about with Donlar? Fifty. Oh, yeah, you're you're at forty eight years in the business. Correct. Or the company is at forty eight years in the business. Mm-hmm. Um. Do you have any Do you have any insight on the like origin story of like why Don and Larry one day decided let's start our own thing? Well, um, <clears throat> I do know. You know. I do know that my dad, my dad actually in his 20s, early 20s, had his own construction company, a small, uh, almost residential remodeling company. So he always was that entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, to pay the bills, he's gone, he had gone to work for a larger company. And that's where he and Larry worked t- together. They were both uh, working for a, a company that is... Uh, no longer in existence, but uh, he, they, uh, Larry had that same desire to start something new, and they worked on a job together and got to know each other there, and really made the you know kind of saw the benefits of being partners together, what each could bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Dad's depth of field knowledge and Larry's uh, knowledge of the office. In the working, at, you know, the construction and bid, bidding, the project management and bidding work that he does there, and uh, that's when they decided in 1972, frankly, in the middle of a recession, to <laughs> jump off the edge and start a new company. So when else do you do that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> why why start it when it's a good time? That's it's, awesome. Yeah. So their first job that they bid and secured was. Um, the Stearns County Courthouse, yeah, in December of 1972. Wow, to go from a to be a startup and you just jump right into like a a very community facing building. Correct. Right. Yep. It was the the third floor renovation of the Stearns County Courthouse, and he uh, 
it was only a value of roughly $83,000, which would equate today to probably about $3.5 million. But that was that was how they started. And, and it's, That's an awesome story. Yep. I love hearing origin stories like that about about businesses. Yep. Doing you know, kind of I've kind of I'm in my origin story at the moment. Mm-hmm. But I talked with the Stillworks guys about that. I talked with a handful of other business owners about that. And I just love hearing those. Yeah. No, it's it is. It's a it is quite the story. Um and they were Larry and Don were working on a hospital project at the time when they met each other. Yeah. So that's that was kind that was the work that they were very familiar with and they felt very strongly about and decided that that was the direction that they wanted Donlar to go. Um, and I think that they they knew the different types of projects they they wanted to do. Um, it really came down to uh, in the last few years that we defined it as we've have all these diverse types of work we do, but it's really focused on community-based building. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. was it was really a just a a shift in the way you look at it, not a shift in what we do. Yes. Yeah, you've always been doing these types of buildings, but to, and it, has it even always been categorized in the way that it is now in the school, yeah. government? It, it's It has always been categorized that yeah. way. It's just we never really sat, stepped back, yeah. like we talked about, stepping back and looking and saying, these are all community-based buildings. That's why, really, we do truly help build better communities yeah those are all the stuff that you do are pillars of the community correct yep because it's schools anywhere from a do you do any preschools yes we do preschools up to high schools colleges colleges government buildings libraries city halls yep uh, metro transit buildings right hospitals and then, and not even just the, uh, not just the larger project of like building a, a new version of that one of those things, but also renovations on the things. Mm-hmm. Um, you said you were bidding, you won a bid for, or did you win it, or did you just bid on the um, the window project? We did win it, right? We won it, yeah. So, are there small, any rules around bid. talking about uh, a project that is not yet? being worked on but you've won it we what we can say is we are the apparent low bidder Mm. that's what we can say you said that earlier and i was like what does that even mean did he he get it or not it means they may decide for some reason to reject all bids they may decide somebody's disqualified or something to that effect all we can say is there is you know a from all appearances right now, we are the low bid on the project. Right. So. And then, and then once you start working on it, you can advertise that you're working on it? Once we get a contract mm-hmm. or notice of award, that's, that's kind of the that phone call saying, by the way, you're going to get a contract and look for it in the mail. Let's get started. <laughs> in the actual mail? Uh, sometimes. Sometimes email. That's hilarious. Sometimes we get them. Yeah, it's it it's crazy. You know, that's the technology thing. Yeah. You know, we're we'll get it. Uh, you know, via email or it's a link that go you go to a, and sign in electronically. 
Yeah, that, and that's how it should be. But the mail, if there's any in the mail, like any any buyers out there, DocuSign is not that expensive. <laughs> no, no, you're you're right, and you know we do get it many times that way. Yeah, and we have there's project management softwares that manage all aspects of that, and yeah, we've gone through that. But yeah, it is. We still do get contracts in the mail. <laughs> that's hilarious. Well, and the other thing is, up until recently. Um, Minnesota state law did not, you know, until COVID hit, we had to submit a hard copy um, bid bond. You know, it's uh, the bond is saying basically we honor our bid. If you if you don't honor that bid, they can exercise their right to get money out of that uh-huh. bond. So it you know it makes you responsible basically for the for the price. Financially responsible, yeah. Right, and in uh, that uh, that had to be done um, in you know in writing, wedding ink signature still by Minnesota law until COVID hit, and then all of a sudden we were allowed and granted the exception that those could be submitted electronically. Fantastic. Yeah, that is so much better. So an upside to the pandemic. Let's hear it for the pandemic. Yeah, pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> um. That's a good thing to talk about. Talk about some of the things that we've what we've had in our in our conversations <clears throat> that you guys are doing the specific to the pandemic with that that uh, temperature taking camera. Yeah. Kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, we were I mean Don La, Don Lar and in the construction industry in Minnesota has been an essential service from the time that the pandemic and the government shutdown happened. Mm-hmm. So we've been open and had, you know, had to fly under those rules and requirements. So, you know, we've had um, increased washing stations and sanitization of the, you know, sanitizing all the areas within the building. Uh, <clears throat> daily temperature checking has been, you know, part of that, too. We, on our, <clears throat> our Henry Sibley projects, we have two of them going right now. Uh, at the height, we had in, in excess of 150 people on the job site. So we installed a thermal imaging camera, which would, in real time, uh, do a you know a video of the individual and their temperature, three people every second. Yeah. So we could could monitor and track, you know, those people coming through. If somebody somebody's temperature is above the threshold we would then they would get pulled out of the the queue going through set aside they would try it again and then if they failed again they would be sent home for the day yeah so that's in addition to the requirement of masks you know when when you're working within six feet of other people you know we can't we have to actually have had to change the OSHA rules on providing drinking water because we can't have common drinking water stations for people any longer. And, you know, just a lot of different, uh, just monitoring and watching everything that's happening as you go through and, mm-hmm. and tracking people and keeping them out. Oh, Bridger wanted to come join us. Hi, buddy. Hey, puppy. Hello. He was howling inside. Did you hear him? I did hear him, yeah. Hey, Bridge. It's okay, big boy. Yeah. That's awesome. A lot of people are talking about what they're doing about COVID. You guys put 
action behind that. That's a serious commitment to get a, a temperature taking camera. And I've seen we've posted pictures and, and articles about it that uh, it uh, the, about how it works, and it's it's pretty freaking cool. Yeah, it it is. It's amazing to see what happens, and you know it it's been it's been used not only for our staff but also for the school staff as they come and go. Yeah, and so that we can make sure that it it's a comprehensive solution for everyone on site to make sure that everyone's safe on site. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe we're just coming to a time where uh, maybe we're getting some more favorable numbers, and we don't we're not like uh, we don't. I'm stepping into a trap right here. A lot of schools that want to do some sort of majority physical school model at the moment should have this camera in place. Right. It it is cost prohibitive. You know, it, it's yes. a very expensive solution, um, especially when you have, you know, districts have multiple uh, facilities. But when you're talking about the health and safety, if you if you're 100 percent on campus, all of a sudden you have upwards of, you know, 2000 people in, in, in a high school. Yeah. I mean, how do you ensure that they're all safe and healthy? Because. As, as we know, teenagers don't grow into their brain and think correctly all the time. <laughs> so we have to make sure, you know, we well, we want to make sure that that our clients and the districts we work with, they have the right solution in place so that it is safe. Yeah. And taking that back to building better communities, like that's, I mean, you build, you, you know, you go and build the buildings and that's building the community. But now you're at a point where you're keeping the community safe. And that's like a that's a, like a deeper level of your um, community engagement, right? Exactly. Yeah, and you know we've also talked with some of our clients about some of the other ionization and polarization solutions where they, you know, they'll take the air in the in the building, and they'll go through and they'll they'll run it through an ion field or uh, and or polarize it so that it collects into larger clumps. And gets filtered out easier in, through the filtration system, so that then you end up with uh, you know a safer air supply coming through the building. Yeah, that's some over the top, over my head science shit, but that 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 sounds super cool too. Yeah, and you know it's a it's a system that got a bad rap for a number of years. It's it's an older system. It's you know thirty plus years old, but it it was get get it had gotten a bad rap because of some of the these you know the the technology of the day but has been proven to be very safe now and now with you know the the covid that is happening a lot of schools are looking at now retrofitting their their air systems to keep those kids safe in the the buildings yeah awesome it's definitely not an easy uh task that any of these school administration administrators have deciding how they do what they want to do and how they keep people safe it's like really you know rock in a hard place that's a cliche but it's balancing between the health of children Mm -hmm. and wanting to also socialize them and educate them and give them a normal life and many of the staff you know they are oftentimes at risk yeah 
and they, they have those issues that that make them at a a high risk uh, candidate for you know for severe you know severe uh, symptoms if they do get it. So they mm -hmm. want to they want to make sure that th they are protected as well because many children don't show any symptoms. Yeah, and so you have to you want to work that balancing act for them. For sure. And keep everybody safe, top to bottom. Definitely. So so you've been in the business for a very long time. We just posted something, or you guys just posted something about how you started with a shovel in hand, grunt work, like on the front lines. Yeah. Can you tell us your number one favorite project you've ever been involved in in your tenure at Donlar? Oh, that that is a difficult one because there's <laughs> many of them that have. Besides, know, you can't say the biggest one. <laughs> no, the most I lucrative. Mean, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, frankly, it's you know the ones that I find the if you want to say the you know the most satisfaction from are the highest demand difficult projects mm -hmm. um, because. It really shows how we can shine on a project. You know, we've um, we did renovations on the Minnesota Governor's residence, and which is a historic building. It's fully occupied. Governor live, living in it. Um, it has, you know, you have a political. It's not only his residence; it's also part of his political office. He has receptions there he has dignitaries coming to his residence we were you know as we did the two phases we worked on out there we were shut down on a daily you know with a one day notice or less as his schedule changed if he had foreign dignitaries coming in if he had you know some sort of a a uh, you know some some change in his schedule where all of a sudden he has negotiations with say the senate majority leader or something like that going on in his residence we would be shut down and and we you know as a construction manager we built in our schedule saying you know you need to plan for this happening we know it's going to happen we got we we you know secured the requirements from from the uh, governor's residence staff to say this is what we need to do and we were able to manage that and keep all sides balanced and happy throughout the project. So, Fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, and, and on top of that, it's a very public facility. You know, it's the focal point for, I hate to say it, for protests. So mm -hmm. you get a lot of people congregating in front of it. Mm -hmm. it's see your beautiful work. Yeah. See our beautiful work, but usually they don't have, are looking for the eye for beauty at that point. <laughs> But um, you know, in reality, it's the it's um, the security piece of it. You know, to upgrade the security to make sure that the the governor and his staff, because there are quite a few staff on on site, they're they are safe. They are, um, you know, we we keep the the people who are freely exercising their protest rights on one, you know, on their public side. And we're we're keeping their governor and his staff safe on their side of the fence. Yeah, and separate, you know, in a in a world where there aren't protests all the time, that's still 
a valuable piece of it because that the governor of Minnesota is one of the one of the fifty most not maybe not fifty, but a very important political person, regardless of the state of of uh, protests at the moment. You know, correct. Like that's someone that has full time security staff, right. all the things normally, and so that just needs to carry in to a full extent into his residence, right? His or her residence. Yeah, because you know, <clears throat> the residence at one point was where they lived. But now yeah. it has become the political focal point, kind of like yeah. the White House has become. Yeah. Where is the governor's residence? It is in St. Paul. It is on Grand Avenue in nice. St. Paul. Beautiful, old. It was a building that was donated to the state of Minnesota, um, built for a a, a lumber, uh, a, someone who's a one of the lumber, if you want to call it a lumber baron, and his family, who then donated it at one point to the to the state for yeah. for the governor that's awesome so in your in your like building plans with that i mean it's it's a very big building but it's a house at the end of the day and that's and it's also a government building so it's within your scope of work but it is a little bit different than building a courthouse or uh, a library or something like that right correct yeah it's it is. It's it's the housing aspect of it. You have the historic aspect of it. You have the um, the fact that it is, frankly, government offices as well. Um, so it it has so many aspects to it. You know, it 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 provides all the preparation of food for the governor and his family mm-hmm. within the facility. So it's it is. It's a it's a huge piece and. Um, Oftentimes, it's the, you know, has been because it is, quote unquote, just the governor's residence, it gets one of the last looks for work that gets done within the state. Yeah. It's not as, it's not as in the public eye as the Capitol building or something like that. Correct. But it's still very, very valuable. Mm -hmm. Would it be like, like you said, you compare it to the White House and that's to a, a Minnesota executive version of the of the white house correct right so it's just that just as important and we mm-hmm. most would probably consider the white house to be the most important government building in the country in the world unless you talk to senators and congressmen yeah <laughs> <laughs> then it's their office right yep that's awesome well, you know the yeah the capitol building and the white house are are the two you know biggest symbols for for the country and you know, the Minnesota State Capitol and the governor's residence are the two biggest uh, symbols within the state of Minnesota. Because, mm. you know, it represents two of the three branches of the government. Yeah, for sure. Cool. So, is there anything else we need to talk about, Don, Laura? We said that already, but I think we've I think we've talked about it plenty. Mm-hmm. Um. We have not talked about what we're drinking today, which we usually do at the beginning. We're having some, was it again, Basil Hayden's? Basil Hayden bourbon. Ba- Basil Hayden bourbon. Um, you are a big scotch guy. Yes, I am. Um, can you talk about like why, when and why you got into scotch? I got into scotch when I realized that um, 
beer did not sit well with me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I needed to find a different avenue. And uh, I was introduced by to Scotch by, um, by some of the people that I knew. Uh, started exploring it, found out that I really did enjoy it. I enjoy most, if not all, types of whiskeys, uh, bourbon being one of them. But uh, scotch in particular has been my focus lately. <clears throat> so we've, uh, you know, we've been, you know, looking at, um, I think it was, what, maybe five years ago that I really started exploring it um, and have really f- have really gotten into the Highland Scotches and something that is smooth and drinkable when you're having it with or without ice. And it's, you know, it's just been a, it's been something neat to explore, kind of like the cigars, because the two pair very well together. Definitely, yes. What is your number one favorite scotch of all time, um, if money is no, if money is no issue? Oh. oh no! Oh no! We, people, we gotta pause real quick. Okay. Okay, people, we're back. Um, we had a dog uh, that needed to be that needed some scolding, and we'll leave it at that. Um, so we're talking scotch and cigars. Your favorite all-time scotch, um, and money is no issue. That was what I asked, right? Yeah. Uh, yes, you did. And I'm not sure that I can answer that because. There are so many good scotches, and <clears throat> I frankly am I'm happy with a moderate priced scotch because I'm not I don't feel that uh, you know I guess getting into real expensive ones are kind of seem to be just a little bit pretentious in my mind. So I just like going for you know Aberfeldy, which I brought out here. Aberfeldy Twelve Year is a fantastic scotch um, you know I've, the Balvenie has a, a really nice 12 year old scotch their double wood cask just there's so many of them that I really enjoy have you ever been to Scotland? I have not nope. have you been to Ireland? I have not either one. Oh man nope. that's got to be a trip that's got to be a trip for you huh? yeah I think I think it will be I I am thinking, you know, do a little golfing and a little bit of scotch tasting in Scotland would be fantastic. Yeah, I would love whether it's Scotland or Ireland to do like a golf a golf trip. And I would almost prefer it to be shitty weather. Yeah. So you get that full effect of either either one of those places and you come in after 18, you just you just battled with mother nature for 4 <laughs> hours. You just a just a you know, uh, what do they call it? Championship fight, a knockout fight. Yep. Wind in your face, the spray of the sea. Yep. You hit, you're hitting two irons right back at her. Yep. That kind of battle. <laughs> you come back in, and if it's in Ireland, you have a nice Guinness waiting for you. And if it's in Scotland, you have a nice Scotch waiting for you. Well, in, even in Scotland, you know, or in Ireland, to have a something like a Tullamore Dew, which is a, a fantastic Irish whiskey. Yeah. Or you know Jameson which is everyone what everyone knows mm-hmm. but, but yeah there's there's it would be really fun to to do that and and just be able to round your day out with something 
something warm in your belly like that. Yeah. And just like, especially with, I don't know how old Tullamore Dew is, but Jameson's old, Guinness is old. Probably a lot of these Scotch brands that you mentioned are old. Right. It, t- it can take you back and, and make you feel what the original golfers probably felt like. Mm-hmm. What old Tom Morris, who I think it's credited with the invention of golf or the popularization with go- of golf, or, you know, he's, he's golf's first figurehead, mm-hmm. basically. How he felt coming off of coming off of St. Andrews. Yeah. But we got a lot better gear into these days. Yeah. We, we actually can stay dry underneath. Yes, and hit it, hit it, hit the ball in the air. Right. Yep. He's probably walking around in like wool knickers, dress leather dress shoes made of like wood soles or some shit. Yeah, and and they're hitting a a tiny little cherry wood club head. Yeah. Instead of these gigantic titanium that we have or mm-hmm. composite materials. Yeah, and they they didn't use tees back in the day. They just use a little mound of dirt. Mm-hmm to to like hit their driver basically right um and uh and they and and originally though didn't weren't they hitting it into like they were people who invented golf were like sheep farmers or or shepherds rather and they would hit it into gopher holes or something and something like that well yeah that that is actually the you know that's what they have is their the traditional uh, conversation on it. We uh, there's no documentation that that's actually correct or not. But let's look this up. See if we can find something. All right. So I'm going to search Doctor Google. Yeah. Origin of golf. Let's see. The modern game of golf originated in the 15th century Scotland. The 18-hole round was created at the old course at St Andrews in 1764. With the majors, <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, so basically, the idea is like we've been playing different versions of hitting a ball with a stick forever. Mm-hmm. Humans have, but the start of the eighteen-hole game that we call golf. Started in Scotland and at St. Andrews. Or before St. Andrews, but that was where it was like the main, the first main spot for it. Right. The rest is all fake news. Yeah. (laughs) Whoa, there's a picture of the Chinese dynasty. People in the Chinese dynasty playing it. This is, this is cool. Was it that or hockey? (laughs) I think, I don't know. I can't even really see from that. It's too small. Either way, the origins of golf are super cool. How they used to they used to play in like like these guys' outfits, like three piece suits, like dress slacks, everything. And now we're wearing like athletic wear, right? Dry fit everything. I couldn't imagine trying to hit a driver in a three piece suit. No, that that's crazy. Or like walking around on a summer day in a three piece suit. Granted, that that is Scotland, so it's probably not super hot. You got that cool breeze from the ocean. But it was common even with the masters, you know, oh, that yeah. it was done that way. My my mic cord is real tangled up here. One second, folks. Talk more about the masters. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it it is. It started, you know, it started down it's in Georgia and it's started 
you know, wearing the same things because it they had to fit in with the European style to attract the European players. So mm-hmm. everything was in the suits, and you know, you're wearing a jacket and a tie, and you're you're sweating there to death down in down in Georgia. Yeah, in the swamp. And yeah, and like. Um, that's probably where, like, that's why the origins of the gentleman's game idea came from. It's like these guys are wearing suits playing a game, mm-hmm. and usually, uh, pr- probably, just with the assumption that they're all wearing suits and it was the club country club game, probably more wealthy folks, more with you know better mannered folks. If you were not a gentleman, which means you were the gentry, the landed gentry, you could not play golf in the day back in the 1700s. Does that mean like landowner? Right. Yeah. So that's you know and that's talking in Scotland and Ireland and England and and you know the British you know the British Empire they were the you know, back in the 1700s those are the guys wearing the funny wigs. Yeah. So imagine wearing a big big white wig as you're trying to hit a ball. I cannot. No. I can barely hit a ball without a wig with a hat <laughs> on. So yeah, it, it's a different world that we come from now or are in now. Just yeah. like anything in technology, and as you progress, it's it's you know the concepts the same, but so much of it's so so much different. Yeah, the way the way that America has taken golf and handled it um, has gone in a much different direction than than obviously Scotland and much of and, and actually all of Ireland and and the rest of Great Britain. You see courses the way the way they the course model is set up there versus here i don't mean i don't mean the geography geography of it but they are almost all semi-private clubs there Mm -hmm. but they're super cheap it's more of like a community thing it's like you live in this town you're a member at this town club but it's not like a fancy country club it's a a golf course it's a park at the same time you know dogs are allowed it's a big piece for me Mm mm-hmm um and it's a it's a there's a there's a pub attached to it and that's where the the clubhouse came from so it's more of a community gathering space with the sport involved than it is this large money-making venture right. that it is here well yeah and i but i do think you know some some courses still are very conscious of the fact that they are part of the community you know but some courses have become a very it it's it has become in some ways that elitist model that mm. was there at one time yeah in golf whereas other courses you know we i've seen some of these smaller public courses in smaller communities people wearing you know the cut off t-shirts and <laughs> you know and, and a pair of fl- you know flip-flops practically people yeah. are out there golfing because they're part of the community and you're welcome yeah, that's the vibe that they give off at the links, and I wish we could have time to go there with you, because it totally has that vibe. I always tell people the best golfers out there are the ones wearing jeans, which is not like most courses don't even let you wear jeans, mm-hmm. and all the best golfers at the links are the the land the um I don't want to say the landscapers, but the the superintendent and like his his crew, mm-hmm. the people that like actually do the the hard work on the course, right. they're all the best golfers. And they're out there wearing jeans because they freaking built the thing, and they're yeah. they're building and keeping it up to date, so they know how it's playing every single day. Yeah, I I can see that. Yeah, they're 
yeah, the ground screw is ground always screw. the one. That's who, what that's what it is. There we go. They got it. <laughs> yep. No, they're the they're the ones who are always on the, you know, the ones most in tune, and they, you know, frankly have to have the love for the game because they're the ones keeping it up every day. Yeah. Yeah, I see. I mean, I see them whenever I'm out there. They're either. It seems like their regular day daily schedule is get up real early, work, get their stuff done, and then golf mm-hmm. every day. It's a great life. Living the dream, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and, and to go on and further into the links, like the everybody's just happy to see everybody. They allow dogs there, the views there. It's a Lynx course, so you get that like Scotland vibe. Mm-hmm. And it's just so much fun. I wish it was closer to where I live. Because I would go there every single day. I I can see that, yeah. No. Yeah, I have this thing called work that keeps me from playing more, but I enjoy it when I can get out there. Yeah. Have you been going to Chamonix when you've been going? Um, lately, it's it's kind of been, we've been mixing it up. Chamonix is definitely on the list when we can, but we've been going to other places as well. Um, I, I can't stand Chamonix. Yeah. I boycotted Chamonix for like five years because <laughs> it's, I, I've, I've always thought this, I've always thought that it's too, um, it's not nice enough to be as hard as it is. It's such tight fairways on the back nine and, mm-hmm. so, and much of the front. And it's not nice enough to be like, oh, this is a great challenge because I get, I get the value of playing a very fancy course. If it gets, if you made them any wider, though, you'd be in somebody else's fairway. So they they carved out a lot of, a lot of turf out of a pretty small area. So you know, and and it's surrounded by some. You know, on at least on certain sides, a lot of wetlands and, and other unbuildable areas. So yeah, it's those those parts. Right. Where it's like you got a swamp on either side, and if your whole if your ball, isn't right in the middle, it's gone. I don't like those holes. I yeah. don't like those kind of courses. Which which is why you like the Lynx course. Yes. You get two or three fairways to work from. <laughs> well, they're not all connected. <laughs> they have a lot of fescue in between, and yeah. sometimes of the year it's real, really big, and it's tough finding balls there if you hit it off in the fescue because there's no um, landmarks. Right. There's it's just sagebrush, so you're not. It's hard to tell, like, like. Uh, you know, oh my my ball went by this sagebrush or that sagebush or that tree. It's just like it's just somewhere in the sagebrush. Right. Yep. Brandon Bridger has come back up to join us after he was naughty. Bridger, come here, buddy. Come here. Come here. Did mom yell at you? Looks like mom yelled at him. Yeah. Hi, yeah. buddy. You okay? You okay? If you can, if you sit right there, you can hang out here. Sit down. Sit. Sit down, buddy. You okay? Hi. You're okay. Just stay over here. Don't go over to the neighbor's yard. Come here, sit down. Sit down. Good boy, stay there. Good boy, you're okay. Um, yeah, for sure. So, this is now your second time in Jackson, or did you? When you said you came to Yellowstone as a kid, did you come through Jackson at all? Um, no, that's this. Or not as a kid when you in a past life. In a past life, yes. When I was a, a younger adult, uh, no, that was actually out of Cody. Yeah. That we came in. So, so your second time in Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, what were your initial thoughts? Now, you, when you drove in, you couldn't see because it, it was dark. But when you flew in the first time, 
saw the Tetons, saw the mountains, saw what it was about. What are, what are some of your initial thoughts about the area? Um, you know, it's you, you. It's the one time that you you gotta love the government because they preserve something that probably could have been destroyed pretty quickly mm-hmm. if it wasn't set aside as a park. Uh, you know, it's just amazing to see the open spaces, these wide open spaces everywhere you turn, animals running freely. Uh, the an- the the animals in the cars are actually the ones penned up, and you know it's it is great you know just the the natural beauty that that is you know Yellowstone and the Bridger Teton you know Grand Teton and the you know the Bridger Teton forests and and that whole area how you know just how much uh, well how much beauty that God has given us and and it's just really amazing to be able to continue to see that that's in a such a pristine state yeah in a a world where everything is so developed it's good to remember that there are real wilderness places in the world like you go out I mean we're a mile from the Tetons or so maybe two miles from where the Tetons start right and that's real wilderness right there correct yeah. Like we have stuff passing through our yard all the time. We went to Yellowstone, the realest of the wilderness in America, mm-hmm. next to like Alaska, basically. Right. Yeah. Actually, the uh, they say the most remote point of the lower 48 is a place just north of Togedy Pass, the pass you drove in through and that you'll drive out on. Mm-hmm. That it, and they say that's like the farthest away from any any human or any road in the lower 48, right up like. I don't know how far it is north of that spot, but not far from here. Wow, amazing. Real wilderness. Yep. Yeah, and just, you know, to see the see all the effort and energy that has to be put into it to try and protect that from, you know, you want to make it accessible to all the visitors, but on the flip side of it, you also have to protect it and protect the visitors from themselves sometimes. Because <laughs> when you're standing... 20 to 40 feet from a grizzly and you want to just snap his picture or get even closer at a certain point natural selection kicks in you know, <laughs> yes. and, and, and sorry but you know it, <laughs> that's good it's it's a it's a crazy thing that do you have no idea that you know this is not a big warm fuzzy teddy bear <laughs> this is a this is a carnivore that will rip you apart in no time flat. I mean, the claws and the teeth on that animal are significant. Yeah, they say the claws are like, they compare them to pencils sticking out of your knuckles. Right. Or out of your fingers. Exactly, yeah. No, they're, they are immense, you know. And I, we were gifted with, we saw Grizzly 399, right. mm-hmm. which is uh, from, if you listen to the episode with Riley a couple weeks ago, 399 is a famous grizzly bear mom here in the area who has, um, she's birthed like the most cubs of any recorded grizzly um, ever. And Tyler's envious because she has more Instagram followers than he does. Yes, yeah. (laughs) She has an Instagram account with 6,000 followers, a freaking bear. 5,600 is what I saw last time I looked. Yeah, but still. It's crazy. I'm not at that. Still mm-hmm. works is not at that. <laughs> like, um, 
But it's insane. And this year is very special because she has four cubs at one time, which is like unheard of in Grizzlies. Yeah. They usually only have one or two at a time. So four is insane. Yeah. And, and, and we, we got to see all four of the cubs. Yeah. And the four cubs were like within 20 yards of the road. And uh, 399 was back probably about 40 from the road, just grazing. And, and it was it was in, insane to see. And then you had the carnival sideshow on the road and then mm-hmm. in the ditch, snapping pictures and treating it like it was a sideshow. Yeah, the best way to find animals in Jackson is just go where you can see a traffic jam or people pulled off to the side of the road. Right. That's how you know. We saw... So along with her, we saw another grizzly, and that was just like an easy like. We've got it. We got into the groove in Yellowstone of like we'd see cars, we'd look to where the lenses were pointed, and look that direction, and be like, "Oh, there it is." Right. Yeah. And we didn't have to get out. No, and that was that was a safer one because it was across the river. Yep. Which which was nice. That was uh, yeah. That was I was I was okay with the the sideshow, the craziness because right. they're across the river. Grizzlies are very adept at getting across rivers and swimming. Mm-hmm. But you still got time. But yeah, and, but yeah, and it would feel. I think it would feel safe enough to not get stressed about people across the river, right? Because they probably get that a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes you wonder how long until three nine nine all of a sudden just snapped as people got too close to her kids. Yeah, you know. I mean, they probably have instances like that all the time with those with that rangers have to like actually scold people, you know. Yeah, and I, I got God bless those wildlife management people because they're saying the same message over and over again, and people just don't listen. I know. Even I feel that way. Like I've on the podcast or just to people, I've said so many times, "Look at the. Have you seen these morons? Look at all these morons." Mm-hmm. And then I experienced them when when Tim was here. There's a big herd of bison, and I I pulled up decently close to them, but I still gave them room to cross the road if they wanted. And then, but I was the, my truck was the closest to them. And all these other tourist morons started walking in front of my truck mm-hmm. away from the shelter, like right in front of them, looking like away from the buffalo that were like 15 yards away from them. And it's in their rut. They're all, they're fighting each other. They're right. doing other stuff. Like everything they say not to do. And our, the national park, uh, the national parks and other like travel associations here in Jackson do an amazing job of posting stuff like on social media and physically saying, don't get too close. Here's the yardage rules for certain animals. Don't ever turn your back to them people. Right. So instead they're doing selfies. Yeah. With the animals in the background. And then people keep doing it. Right. Like at that point, it's like, do we still think that they haven't seen the the communications or the rules about it or are they, they ignoring it? They know well, better. Yeah. They're thinking it happens to everyone but me. Yeah. I'm the exception. It's not going to happen to me. And, you know, it's, I hate to say it, but it comes back to, is it natural selection again? Yeah. You know. It could be. The genes that, the genes that are in you and I to give, to respect the space of wildlife should be passed on. Yeah. The genes in people that don't respect wildlife space should not be passed on. Correct. And if you aren't going to respect it, then then maybe you're not the right visitor for for these parks. 
Yeah, it's people like that 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 cause a con the conversation around do we have do we need to have limits on Yellowstone uh, capacity limits on Yellowstone and Grand Teton because of how many stupid people do that shit. Yeah, yeah, it's and it shouldn't. It, there shouldn't be that conversation. No, because it is our. It's all of our land. It's right. national land. It's we're taxpayers. It's our land. No, but I mean, it, part of it is you know, it, it, you're protecting two things. You're protecting the people who refuse to obey the rules and and listen to the rules, you know, and you know are in that shallow end of the pool. Um, <laughs> the gene pool. I'll right. say it. Yeah. The gene pool. <laughs> Um, I, I, I was trying to filter my response. <laughs> I said it. I said it. Tyler said it. The gene pool. They're in the short end of the gene pool. But the flip side of that, you're also trying to protect the wildlife because once, once one of these, you know, like a, a grizzly or any other, you know, predator type animal, if it's a wolf or if it's, you know, even a bison, they attack. All of a sudden, the park service is obligated to to deal with that and you're destroying an animal that's operating in its natural environment doing what it should be doing naturally but all of a sudden it's attacked a, a human being and that's the part that is the, the most sad that people are are just ignoring rules that then destroy the very thing that they're trying to get a selfie of yeah yeah exactly or, or yeah there's a lot of stories of like grizzlies that end up in campsites and Obviously, want to protect, protect humans, so that grizzly, they they have like a, a three strike system here, where mm -hmm. they'll displace a grizzly three times before they actually have to put it down. If it keeps coming back into human areas and she feels, uh, it looks like it's dehumanized, right. or humanized, or desensitized to mm -hmm. humans. Right. I don't know what the word would be. If it's too comfortable around humans and going to get food from humans, they need to, they end up having to to kill it. Right, and yeah. that's not what anybody wants. No, and that's where. You know, why are they in the campsites? Well, did you put your food in the bear locker like you should be doing? Yeah. You know, maybe just have, maybe there should be less expectation that you should be allowed to camp in those areas. Yeah. I mean, but then, then, you know, people will be complaining because you're putting limits on them. Well, sometimes, you know, it's like anything, limits have a purpose. So let's accept that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm one of the first people to stand up and say, not for government limiting the people. But in those spaces, these are these are landscapes, these are spots where we've decided, or America's decided, these are special because of the animals there, mm -hmm. the land there, the rocks there, something there. We need to preserve it as best we can and also show it to people. Right. But now that it's like such a cultural thing and more so this summer because of people can't go anywhere else, mm -hmm. I think I feel people are they feel that they're owed, you know, their chance to to camp in Yellowstone, their chance to see Grand Teton National Park. And I, I think everybody should see it, but with a different mindset of like, you're not you're not owed any time here. No. He, the animals are owed time here they're owed a life here you right. get to just get it you get a glimpse of it right and you're in somebody else's space pick up your darn garbage can yeah your garbage when you throw it i mean yes. pop bottles and cans yeah. and things like that 
that that was and just realize just just because there's a freaking lodge and a cafeteria and buildings that like this is real wilderness Mm. like you're not just taking the family to camp in in the park it's there's grizzlies everywhere the yellowstone the greater yellowstone ecosystem which includes yellowstone national park surrounding areas and grand teton national park basically this entire valley has the highest concentration of grizzly bears outside of kodiak island in Alaska. Right. And Kodiak Island is named that because of the bears. Right. Yeah. So we're number two to that spot. Yeah. There's bears here, people. Right. And, you know, and they, they need to be respected. Yeah. So. Because they're incredible. When you, you can, can see them, when you view them from a safe spot, they're incredible. They are. They're nothing like, they're like a combination of like a freaking like wolf and horse and like demon yeah <laughs> like there are all these things they're not it's like it's i know they're their own category because they're in the bear family but like a lot of other animals you can compare them to other animals mm-hmm. there's bears you can't and grizzlies are th- are very hard to well and they you know if you if you take the fur off of them they look virtually human yeah it it, it is frightening how human like they look yeah and when they stand up they're just enormous and they're mean <laughs> this is bad. Bad news, bears. <laughs> now that is the worst pun of ever. Worst uh, is that a? That's kind of a dad joke. That's the worst dad joke I've ever said on the podcast. And it wasn't me. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah. So let's talk about what what you've done. You've talked a little bit about what we've done here. So we'll just go through kind of day by day. So you got here on Thursday. Thursday Last night. Last Thursday. Yep. 16 hour drive. 16 hour drive. Yeah, what tell us your thoughts on that drive. You know, I actually enjoyed it cuz you know, it's it's um you know, everyone says it's such a boring drive, but there it's a the beauty is more subtle. Uh-huh. You know, the rolling hills, the you know, even the the ranch lands and the the wide open spaces that you see in South Dakota and in in Wyoming. Yeah, they have their own set of beauties, you know, that that are, are really striking, you know, and uh, you're seeing antelope more commonly than you see any any other animal, like the sheep or the the horses or anything else out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a you know very rugged. It it really, you know, if you if you don't see the fences by the road. It's what you, the cowboys saw or the settlers saw when they came through here, you know, a couple hundred years ago. Yeah, I always think about that when I drive through there. Yeah, it's a, it is amazing. You know, you you watch a western, and it's like this is the country they lived in. Yeah, like Dances with Wolves. You've right. seen that, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was filmed like not that was filmed in near like Rapid City, South Dakota, or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's you know, it's a it's a very beautiful rugged land um that just like you know the jackson hole area that in uh yellowstone that it it requires a it requires a special kind of independent breed to live there yes you have to be on your own figuring stuff out because in those cases sometimes it's 20 miles to the next ranch yeah or more you know it's they're they're significant plots of land because you know you can see these huge 
river basins that are just dry because it's the dry time of year. And then all of a sudden they're going to, you know, they will get the snow and it'll fill up and there would just be, that river basin will be full come spring. Yeah. And then it goes away and you got this dry piece of land again. Yeah. You know, so. I just think about, you saw those settlements where it's like, you know, maybe 30 people, <coughs> five families, something like that. Middle of nowhere. Um, like if there's kids, do they go to school? Are they homeschooled? How do they get groceries, supplies? They drive hours. They maybe what do they do it maybe once, twice a month and they just load the shit up and, and you know they do they just not buy perishables? Well, I think, you know, <clears throat> part of it is they grow their own. You know, so yeah. they have their own things, you know, that are so, yeah, like and vegetables and right, and you know, raise their own chickens and and other other farm animals <laughs> that that give them some of those perishables. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, you you go, you may go to town. It may be once a week, it may be once every other week, but then you you stock up and you bring it home, because that's the way it works. And, yeah. You know, there there are other communities, other farm communities, even back in Minnesota where we're at. Where we would see, you know, it, especially growing up as a kid, because you you didn't have the quite the road system you do now. Um, the farmers coming in every weekend, and they do their shopping and be there. They load up on everything they needed. It was a day trip, and then they'd head home, and that's the last time they'd see a city. Until the yeah. next time. Yeah, or even like I was thinking. If there's a cluster of, of homes or a cluster of ranches somewhat near each other, in like in the modern day, if they could just like set up like a a small semi or like some some like food delivery thing where they're like, All right, you know, we'll like we'll pay you this delivery fee if you just bring like here's our enormous order for five families for the month in a in a refrigerated semi or refrigerated you know, like a Simon delivers, but like kind of kind of vehicle but like wait you bring it way out there be like all right here's here's how you get it something like that maybe well i can also see that your neighbors you and your neighbors you set up a plan where you yeah rotate who's going to town yeah you know like you got three other neighbors and everybody got one weekend a a month that they they're the ones who go to town yeah pick up supplies yeah exactly yeah they're probably all to your point of that they're they're all grown stuff, maybe one family has the chickens, one has the vegetables, one has the beef. Mm-hmm. They all probably all have the beef. But the, the milk. But they're all they're sharing it amongst each other because mm-hmm. they all know that they're there, that's how they can survive. Right. They gotta coexist more than more than we do in most modern cities. Well and part of it too is the conveniences that we take for granted, they don't. Yeah. You know. Even, you know, everybody's like they loves their Starbucks run. Well, you're lucky if you get, you know, you're hoping you have coffee. Yeah. You know, so you can make your own because that's the way you roll. You're lucky you have Folgers, yeah. That's right because that's, you know, that's your life and, and you're good with it because that's what you've chosen. So, you know. Yeah, it's got to be probably a very conscious decision to do so. Right. Yep. Now, I've talked about that, uh, about living here. The people, something I've picked up, the people that have lived here for more than a couple of seasons, basically, they just absolutely love it because anybody that um, 
has been able to last more than that long, has made such a conscious decision to do everything that's needed to live here and stay here mm-hmm. that they've got to love it. Yeah. You know, it's not easy to live here for that long. No, you, you know, you can tolerate something for a certain length of time. Yeah. But you better love it if you're going to stay there for a long period. Yeah, a lot of people a lot of people end up leaving here because of the, you know, everything's super expensive, you pay a lot for housing, and the people that leave end up saying, you know, I'm not I'm not getting getting the return from the wilderness areas or the fun that they wanted to have or that they did have that is equal in value to how much they have to pay for stuff or they don't have the right job that they want to have or whatever, you know, stuff like that. The return on the fun stuff that you do get isn't as good as they would want it to be. Yeah. No, I I think that's true in any place, you know, that some people want all every convenience possible, but then they're tired of having a neighbor stacked on top of them. Yeah. You know, which, you know, that that happens when people live in big cities. But then you have... You know, you you get out into smaller communities, say like Jackson and Wilson, you don't have, you might have a little, you, you have common space, but living, you know, we're, we're staring practically into your neighbor's living room. <laughs> yeah, hey, Ned. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, you've got, you've got, what, four neighbors within uh, a stone's throw of your house. Yeah. And, you know, that's, but... You get beyond that house, these, this community here, and you've got, you know, millions of acres of untouched wilderness that you've really got to value that to put up with, you know, the, the fact that you've got very expensive groceries and living expenses and everything else to have that available to you. Some people want that and, and highly value that. It's everybody who has their points that they're, what are your pain points? And what are you yeah. willing to put up with for what you really love? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that access to that wilderness was my number one thing. I would go on walks and hikes and things in Minnesota or even like from where I lived, I would go on hikes and walks with the dogs, but it wasn't really wilderness. You know, it was like small parks surrounded by houses and there was some woods and maybe you'd see a deer or whatever, but it almost felt like uh, claustrophobic sometimes to want to go when I'd want to, when I'd have that itch to go get in the wilderness and I'd either have to drive two hours to our cabin or Duluth and the North shore to find that kind of wilderness or just feel claustrophobic. But here I get that itch to go just wander. Mm -hmm. I get that wander itch from just like, I'm just going to, I'll pick a spot to start, but I don't know where I'm going to end up. Mm Mm-hmm. I can. I know how to stay safe. I know generally where to go, how to get out. I'm just gonna wander, and I can do that within. You know, I can get a lot of that within five minutes of my house. Right. And yeah. that's that was my top priority. I just needed that that ability, that real wilderness to to be closer. Mm-hmm. Right. And you were blessed with the job that you could do that with, which was fantastic for you too. Certainly, yeah. And that, but that's kind of too. I mean, it, <clears throat> that's that's kind of why I chose. I've been sinking back in this thing because because <laughs> the arms, oh, yeah. the chairs we're sitting on to help people are kind of breaking down. 
Um, so I've been slinking back, and I think I might the chair might just fall apart on me. Yeah, doing I the pod. Um, you better switch your chairs. Yeah, <laughs> I will after I, t- I tell this story. Um, when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, the idea of just clocking into an office every day just didn't interest me because of the freedom that I saw my dad have. And I was like, that was really attractive to me because he could go to the cabin at certain days and still do work and still be effective and still get the job done. And so I knew that was at least, and I think that was helpful to know that that's an option. I think so many people don't even get that that's an option. Right. And that led me to go like, okay. And then I found out that I had a, a knack or, you know, something in me that likes sales or is decent at sales. And I combined those two drives and said, I should be in B2B sales because as long as you're getting the job done, <laughs> look at Bridger. What are you doing, big guy? <laughs> He's just got his nose in the air. If you get the job done, they don't really care where you are. Yep. And now more modernization of the business. I can work from wherever I'm at. People are, companies are moving to more virtual sales teams, and that's the kind of team I'm on. Mm-hmm. What is he doing? I don't know. You, you smell something up there. What's up there, buddy? What is it? What is it? What is it, big boy? He's sniffing straight up in the air into a tree. What is it, big guy? What is it? Good boy. Get it, Bridge. Um, <clears throat> so, it, yeah, it wasn't I, – I, it's, it's lucky that I was able to say, hey, manager – I'm just going to move to Jackson Hole. Mm-hmm. And they just say, okay, make your number and we're good. But it was also, I knew I wanted that freedom out of a job. Right. But you also had the aptitude to, to do a job that didn't require you to be in an office. Yeah. Which many people, you know, struggle with. They have a, t- a tough time with uh, doing sales. You know, and <laughs> talking to people and trying to convince them that this is a good thing to buy and business to business or however it is, it's it's a uh, it is a specialty and it is yeah. A lot of people have talked to me. A lot of friends have come up have asked me about it and thought about doing it, moving from different careers. Like te- a lot of a lot of my teacher friends have asked me to to do it because they because. Mm. You know, they saw my intelligence level as one thing, and it's really something different than what they saw. Mm-hmm. And they they could probably thought that they could do it, and some of them can't. One of them one of them has transitioned. Mm-hmm. David Miller, right. he went from teaching, full on was a high school teacher, and then switched and is now at a at a, a high tech in a high tech sales role like mm-hmm. mine, and he's doing good. And so there are those those examples, but. You just need to have the right personality, the ability to hear no. I don't know, eighty-five percent of the time. I don't know. I don't know my career win rate, win rate is or something like that. But mm-hmm. the amount of times I've heard no greatly outshadows the amount of times of outshadows the amount of times I've heard yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's living for the yeses and and recent and this year it's more about I've changed my mindset to be less about thinking about the commission that comes in and to me now it's more about the achievement of of my goal 
mm-hmm. to uh you know back up the idea that I think I can I can make it in that in the industry, mm-hmm. make it doing this stuff and back up my instinct really. Sure. Cuz I have I have strong instinct on this stuff, mm-hmm. but in the years that I've done shitty, it's just like am I just is that just wrong? Am I worth do I know <laughs> what I'm doing? Do I even know what I'm doing actually? And then to have a good year to turn around and be like, okay, I do know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. My instincts are right. I can make it in this. Yeah. Is it has been really awesome. That's good. Yeah. So it 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 really does. You know, like you, to what you said, you gotta whether whether it's a career choice, whether it's a living situation, whatever it is, it's got to be the right fit for you. Mm. You can't translate what you see somebody else being successful at and say, "I want that," and that's right for me. Yeah. You gotta. You know. You really have to dig in and say, "Is it?" First and foremost, what what is right for me, and then how do I fit that into what I am and who I am? Yeah. First rule: don't chase money. Right. Don't ever chase money, because if you chase money, you'll put yourself in a bad situation. Well, you'll be very unhappy. Yeah. You know. Well, if because it's really it's never enough. Yeah. If yeah, if you're doing it for the money, we're all doing it for money. Mm-hmm. We all need careers and we need yeah. to pay for things and we want to have nice lives and nice houses and nice things yeah. we're all doing it for money to some extent but don't don't chase things that you don't actually have a passion for mm-hmm. because of the money right you know find it, to take, it takes a lot of self-reflection to find out what are these pillars inside of me that set me on fire and what i like to do mm-hmm. And maybe you have a knack for them. Yep. And then maybe that pays well. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like the big, that's the trifecta yep. of yep. fantasy land. Do you, do you have a passion for something and mm-hmm. you know, and you figured it out? Are you decent at it? And does that pay well? Right. If you can get that in life, then not to say life is a breeze, but it's a whole lot easier. Well, yeah, and and frankly, the other part of it, you know, you hear the, if you love what you do, you never have to work a day in your life. Well, I, I don't necessarily agree with that because yeah. it, it is work. Yes, you know? it's hard it, work. It, it isn't play, you know. This isn't just recreation time, you know, or, you know, be passionate about your job. Ready, l- love your job. Ready, but. If you have a job that you like, you know, if you're if it's enjoyable twenty to to thirty percent of the time, it's successful. Pause again, folks. Okay, we're back, folks. Um, and uh, Bridger's being super naughty, but um, we're gonna wrap this up. Um, I haven't really been doing any closing real remarks, but. Um, any final thoughts for your second trip here or anything else for the listeners? You know, I, I think the thing that I enjoyed most about my second trip out here, you know, as opposed to the first trip was really diving into getting to know the people you know here mm, yeah. and, and really experiencing the, this is who Jackson Hole and the community is. 
because these are the people who live here. It isn't the tourist spot. It isn't the, you know, all of the bright lights and here's the top 10 attractions and all the other things. These are, this is what makes Jackson Hole really what is so special about this place. And I've really enjoyed getting to know these people because they are very special. They are those unique individuals, um, very conscious of what they want in life and what's important to them and they've exercised that passion themselves in this beautiful place like you and Taylor have done so I've really appreciated getting to know them as well yeah that, that that's a very good that's very insightful yeah you met um you met Cove and Jeff Jeff's been on here mm-hmm. Cove we are going to get you on here I don't think you listen to the podcast but we're gonna get Cove on here yep. um and you met Haley and Eric, and I've tried to get, get got tried to get Eric on here too, but he didn't let me come on either. Um, Haley's been on, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a very good point. That those are our closest friends here, and they're all they all work here, play here, and know that they want to be here. None of mm-hmm. them have. We've we've all faced the toughness, the tough act of trying to work here and live here, and pay for things here, but mm-hmm. none of them have ever said i think i might i don't know if this is for me i think i might want to move right in the time that i've known them Mm -hmm. yeah and they are they are the rugged individuals and you know it's you know it's great to see that community that you've built around yourself out here Mm -hmm. yeah i told i told you today um you can't just let friends come to you you have to go go find them Mm -hmm. uh jeff Jeff and I met at a bar at the Silver Dollar during the Masters week, and I was wearing this thing, actually, and he was like, he saw it was a golf thing, and he was like, hey, how about the Masters? Yep. And then I could have just said, oh, that's just a dude that I talked to at the bar, mm-hmm. but, you know, pushed the envelope and said, you know, let's see, he seemed like a cool guy, let's go watch football with him or something. Right. We'll go watch some sports. That's easy to do for guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and with, with, but with Haley, he was a little bit, I had a push envelope even a little bit harder because girls are weird making friends. <laughs> Taylor, I think Taylor just thought that uh, another version of her oldest best friends would just walk into her life and they'd click immediately and they know mm-hmm. that they can be best friends rather forever, but you don't know that about anybody that walks into your life. Right. And now yeah. her and Haley are so close, are super close. Yep. No, it is. It's, it is something you have to, you have to exercise that because, you know, if you have that common knowledge, that common core passion, you you got to seek out and grab hold of those people when you can. Yeah. Yeah, and it is a common core passion for the area. Mm-hmm. And with, with that, there's like, you know, the top, the, the main six activities everybody does here. You're going to find one you can do with each other. Right. It's like, you know, hiking, biking, fishing, skiing, snowboarding, climbing hunting golfing maybe at eight Did you bump into biking biking yeah that was, that was one okay. of the first bump into anybody that lives in jackson you can mm-hmm. you can go do one of those things with them right yep and that makes it super easy to make for me to make friends because it's just like yeah we'll hit a hike one day we'll hit a bike ride one day yeah like right. let's go you know we'll go oh i see see him at the resort like yeah let's go i'll ride up on the lift with you let's go Sure. Just like a random person that I know around from town. Mm-hmm. That makes it easier, easier for me. Right. 
because yep. it's not just random uh relationship building it's let's do let's do something we both love together and we'll learn more about each other through that well welcome to, welcome to guys yeah activities bond guys yeah yep. we'll do yeah we'll go we'll do, go climb a mountain drink some beers and we'll be best mm-hmm. friends after right that's probably that's probably how a lot of friendships are made in jackson that's right <laughs> so awesome um well i don't have anything else um i guess oh let's uh let's uh Let's tell them where we can find Donlar on the in the internet on social media. Um, I don't actually know the handles. We should look these up. Well, website is uh, www.donlarcorp.com. Yep. D-O-N-L-A-R. Yep. C-O-R-P dot com. And then on Facebook, it's just Donlar Construction. D-O-N-L-A-R Construction. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and if you do search us on the internet on Google, don't click our ads. We don't want to pay for somebody that we're directing from here. <laughs> click on the organic um, and then go look at the website because we've put some work into that. Mm-hmm. You're going to see a new video up there. Um, the social page, it's getting better. It's a little bit It's a little bit more difficult to post social stuff to uh, find organic growth out of uh, a pretty specific target market. Mm-hmm. Of buyers that you have right. but it's getting better the content's really good we're getting the messaging out there that you that you want the yep. building communities showing the face of the bit of the brand it's getting good thomas is doing a great job um and look around your community if you're in the twin cities look around the community if you see any trailers with the will it be will it be just navy lettering says donlar yeah sure. if you're on a job site yep. look around they're they're building communities around the twin cities um, into Wisconsin, in a little bit of the Dakotas, and a little bit of Iowa. But they're out there. They're doing stuff. They're building building better communities, like we keep saying. Check them out. They do, they do great work. Um, and they've been really fun to work with. Thank you, Tyler. Yeah. So uh, with that, uh, everybody have a good week. I've been saying, lately I've been saying, like, go read a book, do a hike or something like that. Um, but I think... I think today I want to say still go read a book. I haven't been reading as much as I would like to lately. Go read a book and smoke a cigar. Yeah. That's how I want to end it. All right, everyone. Thanks. Have a good week. Thank you.